0: Hello, everybody. My guest this morning is Dane Atkinson. He's a serial entrepreneur with a focus on technology, data, and small business. He's been CEO of a dozen companies like Samal and Squarespace, mentors of far too many others, and had the pleasure of building the careers of thousands while creating while creating billions in equity value and sometimes losing millions. Dane, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, I sure am. All right. What felt better, making billions or losing millions?
1: Uh, actually, they're both pretty interesting. It's the middle that's the most boring when you're not really cooking <laughs> one thing or another. Um, certainly, the making is better than the losing.
0: All right. Let's start off with, I think, the name probably people are more familiar with, Squarespace. What did you do at Squarespace and then complete the story? How did that transition to some All?
1: Uh, so I joined Squarespace um, when it was basically just Anthony, who's the current um, CEO. Um, I joined up as the CEO, uh, I guess, now almost 10 years ago. And spent five years building the company up um, through its first chapters. Uh, we raised a, a whole hunk of money and I think made a pretty interesting product uh, that is still sort of the market leader for the design side of websites today.
0: And what uh, years were that? Put some brackets on that for us. That was 2007 to 11. Now, did he bring you in at the beginning there or you guys were co-founders together and you, you were CEO
1: no. Um, he was. He started off at the University of Maryland. He was working out of a dorm room, literally. Uh, he got a small office. I uh, tried to find a way to buy him, but he's way
0: too smart. Uh, <laughs> so <I was> <laughs> wait, I to wait, get- wait. But- Tell us more of that story. So what did that sound like, and how'd you find him? Why'd you want to buy him?
1: A mutual friend of ours identified him. At the time, I had um, known Karp and some other people who were looking at publishing. I thought publishing was an interesting space. David a Carp, of- right? Yep, yeah. who were in, um, in the same kind of industry. I own a company called uh, For Your Imagination, which was a video podcasting company. I was working in a company called Vidivi, which is a competitor to YouTube at the time. So I had a big belief in this idea of content creation. Um, and I got introduced to him and thought his product, even back then, was just uh, light years ahead. As an engineer and a founder, he was exceptional, is exceptional. He has a sense of design and technology that's really rare. Um, but he was really young. And I've been through this so many times, I was like, oh, well, this would be really easy. So um, we sort of danced around for a while. Eventually, we had lunch, I think, with his dad, which is my final pass for approval to uh, (laughs) join up. Uh, And we quickly grew from there. So I think, you know, the months after I joined, we uh, we built the tech team. We added a lot more support and started. But uh, Dane,
0: when was the kicking moment? When did you realize, okay, there's no way this guy's going to sell to me. So I should join him if I can't buy him.
1: Uh, pretty early on, like he he had developed um, enough revenue stream and he was enjoying a
0: lifestyle. Um, what size was it back then? Can you can you share that?
1: Uh, we we're pretty quiet about the figures, but it was it was definitely more than one person should be earning that way. Got it.
0: Okay. And his but team size? It was
1: still essentially a
0: one-person company. That's what I was going to ask. It was basically him. You yeah. know, what, what, can can we say north of five hundred grand? I mean, he was making plenty cash flow wise.
1: Oh yeah, in the course yeah. of a
0: year, he's definitely making that kind of money. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Very uh, very. Impressive
1: at an early age to, to accomplish.
0: Did you get an actual offer on the table? Did you ever say, "Okay, here's my you know final thing"? And
1: no, I just tried uh, and realized that it was a, a fruitless ground, and thought that um it would be better just to pair up. You know, uh, I, I saw in him something that was interesting. He had you know a lot of the same ambitions and foil that I had made when I lost my my <laughs> runs or made runs in the very early part of my career. Uh, so I figured I could help guide
0: around some of the pitfalls,
1: which worked out. I That's mean, we had great.
0: A so 2007 to then, what was the final year? Uh, 2011. I think, okay. And so tell me about that. What, what happened there? Why, why'd you, why'd you leave?
1: Oh, uh, well, we'd sort of conquered the market. So we'd raised 40 million bucks. We'd resisted the fair share of acquisition offers. Um, you know, we had a large office, and large team. I think that we'd identified ourselves as sort of category winner, even then for the design side of things. Um, you know, I'm addicted to this idea of creating companies done it as, as my bio would say way too many times. So I felt at that time that it was probably the right thing for him to sort of blossom out as he'd learned all the lessons I could surely pass on, um, for me to take another swing in it. So went back to the, uh, the start.
0: What was I mean, but there had to have been some more leverage besides you kind of just being in that mindset. I mean, was there a round that was happening and the, the lead on that round wanted to put in a CEO or you just felt like you couldn't add any more value?
1: No, neither. Actually, I think that, um, you know, we've been between rounds. The company was always profitable. It's a very strong business model. Um, I think that we just felt that we'd sort of found our DNA. and me and Anthony felt that it was kind of the time for him to, to do it without me.
0: Mm-hmm. Dane, quick question on profitability. How can you be profitable when you raised 40 million bucks, unless that 40 million just sits in the bank and you don't spend it?
1: Uh, you can actually be profitable before you raise that kind of money. And there are some case stories as, as is Squarespace where you build the profitable business all the way through. Obviously, when you raise that kind of money, um, we would spend it aggressively, but the return was really quick. So Got you would it. see your income for sure um, as you started putting that money to work in marketing. Um, but Squarespace has always been a machine that's just generated ahead of itself.
0: So the money velocity was really tight. You'd get payback periods under six months and then reinvest and keep churning. Yeah, actually,
1: uh, it's gotten harder being a SaaS these days. But um, certainly back then, we would be able to return money you know, three months from advertising. That's a great. Strong fund.
0: That's great. Okay. Tell us about SumAll. What does it do and what's the model? Is it SaaS? Uh, So it's freemium. Uh, Actually,
1: it's uh, almost entirely free from a purposeful standpoint. So we've done this enough that we felt we could give back to the SME. The SME is a place I spent way too much of my career. So it's an analytics platform that lets small businesses kind of compete against the giants. They put their data in our environment, it does things for them automatically, and it gets them a sense of what's actually happening. Um, we are about the same size from a customer footprint as, the uh, Squarespace, but obviously we don't have the kind of income, yeah. but we, we definitely shift people's lives, which is very fulfilling.
0: Well, so when you say, when you, you said you had free users and then you said, yeah, they're the same size customized as Squarespace. So is it, is it, is it all free right now and you're still just growing the base or you oh, have paid? So no. when you say customers, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, so we define a customer as someone who's actively using the platform, but he not paying get-
0: no, not paying at all. Okay. go. Come on, Dave. My audience is going to listen to that and go, wait, what do you mean? You can't call a non-paying user a customer. It's true. That's fair. Um, well, how are you supporting this if it's all free? Is it you're just using, I mean, how do you decide when to turn on an in- income? Or do you just not want to do that? You're just a good person and philanthropic and.
1: Uh, a bit of both, right? So we, we are <laughs> <our> definitely <laughs> driven. Um, we've been lucky enough to build enough companies that VCs give us money to burn the furnace. So we've got a, you know, a roaring furnace in the corner of our operations. Uh, I think How that much have people, you raised? Uh, we raised about $25 bucks. Um, our belief is that if we are able to consolidate this category, and as we are, so we're you know, half a million businesses on the platform, uh, we'll be able to do things that are really meaningful for that community and also generate a lot of capital for us. It doesn't really work in the small scale. So we don't want to preclude people from getting the advantage of their data, and we don't want to slow down the platform from its growth. At this stage, I think down the road, we'll be in a very good position to collectively defend and offer things to our customers. So our hope is that in the next couple of years, we'll start to add enough value that we'll, uh, we'll turn a few of those knobs.
0: So tell us more about, I mean, because this podcast obviously has an opportunity to drive a lot of people to the website, but I want them to really understand what it does. Can you tell us a story of how a business is using you? You know, your headline on the website is your personal data scientist, but what does it actually do? Yeah, so I think that the the sad part about the way the ecosystem is changing is small businesses
1: are, have to have a PhD in analytics and marketing and all these different things, which they simply don't, right? So for us, the the advantage is if you're a small business and you connect in your data, you put in your social services, you put in your Shopify account or your Etsy account or your PayPal, you put in your ads accounts, and you see everything in one place. We'll give you a sort of a rundown each day of what's happening. So for best practices, you can sort of see yourself evolve and understand what the market looks around you. And then we sort of automate away some of the basic stresses. So we help create content, um, you know, take products out of Shopify and we'll help list them inside of your social accounts. So we'll find the best trending products and we'll help market that. So lowering sort of the workflow that people have to do. The future where we see ourselves going is as we can consolidate and get enough data to do these things smartly is there's a lot of uh, pain and work that the small businesses shouldn't have to do that, you know, AI machines can just do for them. So we're starting to look at more and more automations that are intelligent that just take away the work.
0: Okay, Top Tribe, many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly, and why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use PostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24 seven support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off, along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, but you gotta do it now. Again, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. So let me ask you a very weird question, and this is a problem that it would be a very good problem for you to have. Um, if your platform is perfectly efficient and you get 100% market share of SMBs, uh, you can't optimize everyone's Shopify products because you'll have the same competitors using your platform. You know, t- you know, a thousand different people selling a shoe that you know is trending. You can only, you know, pick one of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how do you, you know, people have an advantage if they use you, but what if everyone's using you? Do, do, do you lose that advantage?
1: Uh, no. So I think that if we look at the way like Amazon works is they they have thousands of you know similar items that are all sort of related to each other in the way they sell. The way we work is slightly different. We're working one to one with each vendor. So in theory, if we actually were to penetrate the entire SME and every single company picked the same automation, they said, pick my number one trending product and let let's talk about it when it's succeeding. That would definitely crowd the communications a bit, but it's a very one-to-one communication between that brand and their customers. So if that Shopify store is talking about their high-heeled shoes, and the next Shopify store is talking about their high-heeled shoes, they're really targeting their audience. They're both talking about what they're seeing in that shoe sales. Like, shoe sales are up. I changed the price on it, these kind of things. Um, so I don't think they would be competitive. Some of the aggregate roll-up stuff, maybe, and you can't get around products that just aren't strong. I guess part of the process of developing your business is finding out when things work. What we want to get away from is, having to be a marketing expert to actually go into a small business or having to be you know, a data scientist to actually make sense of what you want to do. Like it used to be, you could hang a shingle outside your door. Now it doesn't work anymore. You need, a, you need a whole team to be successful.
0: Now are you, I mean, so do you see yourself as basically giving SMBs the power of kind of Amazon and how Amazon does data on the back end to recommend things? Is that what you're doing?
1: Yeah, we sort of see ourselves ultimately trying to defend them against those kind of marketplaces. Um, you know, the, the problem is that Amazon is using a huge amount of data and has aggregation across so many products that it's very hard in isolation to compete, but in isolation is where all innovation happens. So these small manufacturers and crafters and creators are actually making better products and better experiences because they're trying to innovate, but they're getting lost against the as You see Amazon's dominance continue. So the advantage that we can hopefully give and hopefully tools like us is start to, Provide the technology underpinning that lets them actually compete. Let customers understand the marketplace, let customers move between places, let them communicate out in the same way that Amazon would.
0: Okay. But you're not built, just to be clear, you're not building a marketplace. You're not also signing up. Okay, got it. They've got to upload their own customer list, and then you'll help them decide what recommendation to make to the customer that just purchased to increase cart value by 2x. Exactly. So they actually
1: they don't upload anything to us because we think that data shouldn't be work. They just connect their accounts. So they built the store and API like, stuff. Right. They'll connect Etsy to us through an OAuth process. We'll pull in all the SKU data from Etsy and then we'll start talking about it inside of the social services to let them know, or we'll help them create the ad campaign to help them, you know, get visibility. So they're not actually having to. I mean, if you look at the small business, the average small business has fourteen integrations right now. They're using fourteen SaaS's just to survive, which is just lunacy. And when we started with Squarespace, like the average company had two or three SaaS they were using. They found us. They were like, "Oh my god, this is an amazing thing! I can give you my credit card and have a website." Like, wow. <laughs> now it's the poor operators are like, "Yeah, I've got a Zendesk account, I've got a Shopify account, I've got a PayPal account." I like, I don't even know where all my passwords are, right? So the the stress for them is they have this huge proliferation of information. It's not helping them at all, right? They they're collecting information inside of one service, inside of Etsy, but it's not actually getting to Mailchimp, right? They're not getting it out into Facebook or anywhere else. So. Consolidating that data in one place that helps them, I think, is an interesting new category. And to the reason that I sort of moved on is I've always loved the idea of stretching out to new categories. Um, so I think that there is a coming wave of this sort of automation support that will be its own space, especially when it's data-backed.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are indicators that this is hot. I mean, as SaaS grows, obviously this becomes hotter, but we've had Wade on at Zapier and they're crushing it. We had the segment guys on, they're crushing it. They're basically the pipelines connecting all these things. And what you're saying is, yeah, you have some pipeline dynamics on your side, but you make connecting all the pipelines much easier. And then also it sounds like you're also taking a step further and not just connecting the things, but also making recommendations on what you should do now that all the data is collected in one spot.
1: Yeah, we, so we're in the same thing. We've, we've been growing over 100% pretty much quarter over quarter. In terms it's of uh, new user signups? In terms of not customers, because obviously we don't charge it, but in terms of new user signups. <laughs> uh, but we, the thing we discovered, which was a very hard learning lesson, was when we first started is we tried to provide insights and guidance. We found that the SMEs just didn't have the bandwidth for it. So we would promote, like, stop advertising on Twitter, it's not working for you, your product's better on Instagram, you're seeing better results, move your budget, and they would move the budget. So we've evolved into is this sense that they actually want it just to be automated. They would rather us balance out the ad budget. They'd rather us create the content than just saying, you need to talk to these five customers because they're really important. They'd rather us just talk to the five customers.
0: Mm -hmm. That 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 makes good sense. So how are you acquiring customers right now? You've raised a bunch of capital. Is most of that going towards team size or customer or user acquisition cost? What is it? Yeah, so that's, again, part of the model is that we don't actually have a user acquisition cost.
1: We don't do any marketing to get our customers. It's all word of mouth. Um, it's visibility from our partners that push us. It's sort of being able to say with confidence how the different ecosystems look. So we get a lot of, you know, uh, thought awareness. And the product itself sort of is viral. So when people see automations coming from us, if you see the pizza shop down the corner talking about their new hours, you tend to want to come to us because why wouldn't you want to do that for your business?
0: How will the bread shop know that the pizza shop is using all? I didn't follow that.
1: So the bread shop, you know, uh, admires this great pizza shop. They spend time looking at them. They follow them on social and then they'll see on social, the pizza shop saying, Hey, I've got a $5 discount for anyone who comes in tonight. Cause it's going to be cold outside underneath it. It says it's brought to you by Semol. they oh. think Oh, why didn't I have that same automation or it won't, but they'll say this shop is doing these things every single day. How are they creating content that seems to tie into their data? I mean, we're the place you go to figure that out kind of thing.
0: I see. Okay, interesting. And then um, last few questions here before we wrap up. Team size today, what are you guys at? Uh, We're a little under 50. Okay, a little under 50. And everyone based up there in New York? Yep. We have
1: people across the country, but most people are right here in New York.
0: Okay. And remind us, founding year was which year? Uh, 2012. 2012 okay and then last question here again on pricing how do you, i mean how do you what kind of internal signals are you listening very closely to to understand when it makes sense to potentially charge or decide what to charge for Yeah, so
1: that's a conversation we often banty about. Um, you know, I think it's really important to provide a a solid value. When we were looking at our engagement metrics previously, we would see 20 times the engagement that folks would find in sort of Google Analytics or any other platform, but we weren't actually changing the revenue for our customers. So we're very focused right now on actually making sure that we can track the results of those automations, show that there's actually revenue coming from it. Attribution. Right. And we've closed that attribution list and we feel real value. Then we can find a way to lightly charge. Also SMEs hate taking out their credit cards now because they've done it like for those other 18 services. So we're trying to find ways. That we can improve and optimize their business and help them save costs and take advantage of that versus actually just directly charging.
0: Yeah, I mean, but again,
1: we're, we're very fortunate to be uh, uh, backed in a manner that lets us learn and lets us build the customer base to start with.
0: Yeah, because of your history, you have the ability, obviously, to raise. Many would argue, well, the best way to grow a big company in this space is to not charge for as long as possible, right? So if you're good at fundraising and you can show growth, ideally, you never charge the SMEs. Are there other ways for you to make money? I mean, look, I can imagine if you have this distribution channel and you can point 2 million SMBs to advertising on Facebook's new product. Facebook is willing to pay you for that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, that we are holistically trying to protect
1: our customers. So in an environment where we can collectively bargain against Facebook and get a, an advantage for all that data and make it cheaper price, we would do that. Um, I think there is an interesting point though. So I've done this way too many times and we try different models. So Squarespace was awesome. that it was just a charge model. So as all things, I kind of swung the pendulum the other way. It is fantastic for growing a really fast business, and we're really lucky that people support us in that fashion. I would advise for- Wait, new- what do you mean? What, what do you mean you swung the pendulum the other way? So one of the things we sat around at Squarespace was we were buying our customers. We we're trying to build a, that base, and we thought, wow, if we had a free product. We would just you know, have a huge population instead of slowly crawling through it. So as an operator, often I find myself doing the opposite of what I did the last time. So oh. I did the opposite, went purely free think this would be a brilliant model, and it worked as we expected. We built a huge population base, and we started to get more and more love from our customers. The thing that I didn't realize was the discipline of charging is a more honest reflection of creating value for your customers. So we made, I made, and I make so many mistakes, it's kind of laughable, but I certainly missed that in the sense of looking at metrics that were abstractions of real value by saying customers are really using this information, but they're not actually changing it, where if you charge you get a much more true interpretation of what they're getting from it because they're, they're literally exchanging. So I don't think that premium's a bad model, but as we sort of rethink things and as I advise other companies, I think making sure that you really baked in their charge model and you're trying to prove that value earlier than just like, you know, go all for
0: it. Yep, Dane, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Quick answers here. Number one, what's the last book you read? Uh, Life 3.0. Bloody brilliant. Life 3.0. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now besides Anthony? Uh, all of them, um, name kind of off the grid and off the grid one in New York. that has really impressed you.
1: Uh, I got, um, so I'm in a bunch of CEO groups. I think it's really helpful. i so I spent a lot of time with CEOs. Uh, I think freshly CEO Mike is really impressive. Um, freshly, mm-hmm.
0: freshly CEO Mike. Okay, great. Number three, what's your favorite besides your own, what's yep. your favorite online tool? Oh crap. Um, I'm really impressed with intercom these days. Yep, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Luckily I don't sleep much,
1: so four or five.
0: (laughs) Luckily, I love how you phrase that. All right, and what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Uh, Technically single, but I have two kids
1: and live with a baby mama for the last 15 years.
0: Oh, that's good, okay, so two kiddos and how old are you? Uh, I am 44. 44, last question, Dane, take us back 24 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? (laughs) I was lucky when I was 20, I had a company about the same size as this
1: one, and (laughs) I would be spending months (laughs) teaching me. Well, actually... I think at the end of the day, just make the mistakes, just continue going for it. That's that has worked out.
0: There you guys have it from Dane. He sensed opportunity at Squarespace, watching Anthony grow, tried to buy it, didn't work Passed Anthony's dad test, ended up being CEO in 2007, helping really grow the company up until 2011. He ended up leaving there now really trying to go the opposite way. Business model wise at some all, which is basically, you know, helping SMBs and small businesses collect all their data, then make recommendations on that data and actually take action to help them improve revenue and delivering value to their customers. He'll then use that leverage to potentially monetize in the future. $25 million raised with a team of a little less than 50 up there in New York. Dane, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you very much.